Good evening, everyone. Friends, our first reading uh, from the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel, as he speaks on behalf of God, he speaks to a people that have been enslaved, they had been uh, overridden by another government, and uh, they likened, he was liking it, that God is going to free them, and it'll be like uh, releasing them from a tomb, from captivity and darkness. And Paul, in our second reading, is, uh, as he always does, makes this reference to baptism. And uh, he's speaking about uh, what happens at baptism, the very Spirit of God that comes in. Uh, so when we look at this, we think the Spirit of God is in us already, therefore we have that spark of divinity. Even now we walk in the resurrected life. My friends, um, your pastor has had um, plenty of time today I worked was working on a funeral homily. Um, we have, in the past two weeks, had 13 passings in our parish. And that's a lot. Um, it's a lot. And that's not even including the ones that I know of from parish families who have come to talk to me about passing of loved ones not associated with our parish. Deacon's been busy uh, this afternoon with a burial of a friend of our parish, uh, of our family. And... Um, my friends, I bring this up because I got into funeral mode with, um, I've been in it for two weeks actually, so as I wrote this um, homily um, with these many passings, uh, we, are, uh, we contemplate human death uh, and we're confronted with it and it's in our face and, uh, and it's a paradox on one hand because death is a great sadness. Um, and yet, there is a joy. Uh, death is lost for us, but it is a gain, especially for the faithful of heaven. And death is an ending on one part, but then it is a beginning of something different. And the sadness of death stems from a fact of life, namely that human life draws its richness and fullness uh, from the quality of human relationships that we have. Um, and when a loved one passes, the human relationship, so vital and so precious, um, no longer exists in the same way. It changes. It comes to an end. And that is immeasurably sad. And yet at the same time, uh, I was looking, the early Christians uh, like to put it, there is joy because the pilgrim, they refer to us as pilgrims, they go home to God. Um, and without the leave-taking, there could be no homecoming, yet homecoming is the ultimate meaning of this Christian life of ours. And so, my friends, uh, tomorrow I'll present a very theological interpretation of the scriptures, but this evening uh, you're getting remnants of a funeral homily. <laughs> um, so the story presents us with a scene which has become all too familiar in our society, and as I opened with, particularly in our parish, and um, we see a scene of people weeping over the death of someone they love. And um, of all the tears that humans uh, cry, death is one of the worst of the tear maker. You guys know I, I'm from Michigan. I grew up in the Midwest, and in the Midwest we have, in addition to severe tornadoes, we have horrible winters. Um, and death is um, likened to winter there, uh, but of course much worse. In nature's winter, 
uh, despite appearances to the contrary, life doesn't really cease. It merely goes underground. And uh, the outward dies, but not the core. But in the winter of death, life seems to cease altogether. Uh, death seems to rob one of everything. And when the winter of death come, came for Lazarus, his sisters Martha and Mary were plunged into grief. And we see a reversal of roles. Martha was the one who stuck right by Jesus uh, in that dinner scene. And Martha was the one so busy. And now Martha is so overcome with grief, she will not leave her house. Martha is the one who's out um, praying, and she's attending uh, to the guests. And uh, in their grief, um, there's such sadness. And it is natural and right and appropriate that people should grieve when death comes for a friend or a family member. In our reading today, Jesus did not leave them alone in their grief. He came to them and shared their grief with them. And the two words that always strike me about this is Jesus wept. Two words, Jesus wept. He's God. So we see this image of God crying. Jesus wept with them. The very act of Jesus weeping tells us his heartfelt sympathy and solidarity with those who mourn. But he did not leave it at that. Recall he is on his way to his own death. He is going to be executed shortly. Of course, they don't know that. What Jesus does is he challenges them to have faith. Five times in the scriptures he brings up belief. He says to them, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And those who believe in me, though they die in this world, is how we would understand it, will they live? He's speaking in the present tense, not in the future. And he asks, do you believe this? And Martha says, she makes a statement in the middle of her grief, I believe that you are the Christ, the one who is coming. It could not have been easy when I look at it for them to believe as all the evidence was against them. Nevertheless, they believed. My friends, faith is not easy for us either. And faith does not protect us from these things. We mourn. But how we mourn is what is different from uh, perhaps the rest of the world. And my friends, death constitutes the severest test of one's faith. And yet we have these words of Jesus, I am the resurrection, I am the life. This is probably one of the greatest statements in John's gospel. It means that Jesus holds power over life and death. Though he himself experienced the winter of death, by rising from the dead in that mortal flesh and the mortality that we have, he broke the power of death forever. He entered the darkness of the human death and emerged victorious. Thus he has become the path for us. He has caused a new and invincible spring, if you will. If you think about the spring of living water from the third Sunday of Lent, that that idea of water, to dawn on all who believe in him. And many people feel sad on the onset of 
winter, and, uh, and it's hard to believe when winter first begins that spring is ever going to come. And uh, although we had a little glimpse of it last week, and then it was snatched away <laughs> quickly. But uh, we feel the bitterness of the cold winds in our faces. And uh, however, we are not to be overcome or to become despondent because we know that spring will eventually renew everything again. In the same way we are sad when the winter of death claims the life of a loved one and a friend and when we think I think of my own passing and oftentimes in the funerals I tell the families well, I hope someday someone will come to my funeral <laughs> uh, and maybe offer prayers for me too. <laughs> Nevertheless we Christians are not to be overwhelmed. What sustains us in our faith is Christ the resurrection and the life, just as the expectation of spring takes the sting out of winter, so the resurrection of Jesus takes the sting out of human death for believers. Eternal life is not something that begins when we die. That's what Paul, I think, is trying to tell us in that second reading. It really begins the moment we hear the voice of Jesus and ascend to him and say, like Mary, I believe. Martha says, I believe. Thus, even in the midst of winter, we know that spring is already quietly at work. Though it's full blossoming, it will be in the future. My friends, um, the homily I was working on, the husband is here. So, brother, I changed many things so that you don't come Wednesday and say, Father, that's what you said on Saturday night. <laughs> but I've been working. And Katie, who's funeral will be celebrated for her husband on Friday. Mm -hmm. Luckily, family is coming, uh, Father Benson. Mm -hmm. My friends, uh, people often question things, of course. Um, and one of the questions that comes from uh, this reading is about Jesus' behavior. Uh, um, why did he wait? And uh, I believe John tells us in the scripture itself why he did. And, uh, but this gospel account uh, emphasizes Jesus' deep friendship with Lazarus and with his sisters and with the news of Lazarus' death. Jesus is moved by it. And when he arrives at the tomb at Bethany, uh, those words, he wept. And uh, we can argue about what was he crying about. You know, what was those tears? I think it was because his friends were in such deep mourning. And he was trying to get them to a different place to see human death differently. And uh, um, Jesus delayed visiting Lazarus in the situation of his friend's illness. This was an illness. This is why they bring it up. said, could not the man who cured this other guy cure this one too? That's the argument. So obviously Lazarus was sick. And um, Jesus speaks and he does this so that people would believe in him. In Jesus' time, it was thought that the soul of a deceased person was near the body for three days. And one of those odd things. Uh, so we're told that it was the fourth day. That's why he says that now it's four days. And uh, Father Mark, with his sons of humor, and the, the, you know, the sister says, oh, by now there'll be a stench. You know, and I thought, yeah, because life stinks sometimes, doesn't it, Martha? <laughs> you know, sometimes life is like that. 
we, when you, that's why I always ask you guys, go deeper into the scriptures. Just don't read it. There's so much more. And uh, Lazarus within the tomb of four days and um, the raising of Lazarus, Jesus manifests extraordinary divine power. And there was a return uh, to life. Um, but folks, remember, this would be the third time Jesus would do this. The first time was Jairus' daughter. But she had died literally that afternoon in the hour when they came. And uh, people just thought, well, uh, she must not have been dead. Jesus must have just resuscitated her. And then Jesus, on his way to his own death, uh, he encounters a funeral procession. And it's a son this time. It's a, it's a young man, the widow's son. And this time, this one's in the coffin. And Jesus stops them and gives them back to his mother. Something that will not be done for his own mother. Not in that way. And then finally, the third time would be Lazarus. And with the widow's son, uh, they bury people on the same day. That was their custom. So this is the same day. And once again, the people, well, he probably wasn't dead. Jesus just, you know, resuscitated him. They didn't have mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation back then, so that, you know. But this is their thought. But with Lazarus, it was four days. He was wrapped tightly. He had the burial spices put on him. He was put into the tomb. The tombstone was rolled over it. And just for good measure, it was four days now. So even with that odd idea that the soul hangs around for three days as if it can enter right back into the body and make the body come back to life. You see, and I laugh because we have just as many crazy ideas today. When I talk to people who are not of the Christian faith, when they, I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. That's a different way of looking at human death. Huh? All right. Um, so my friends, when I look at this, um, Lazarus was faithful to his friend, uh, Jesus. And he was a sign, he would become a sign of power uh, that Jesus has, as, who is the Son of God, and raising him. And this is something people don't know, I don't think, openly, about uh, Jesus' opponents sought to kill Lazarus. Remember, uh, what the one thing they all have in common is uh, what Jesus did for Jairus' daughter, the widow named son, and for Lazarus was, uh, it was a prefiguration of the resurrected body. They certainly were dead, and he certainly brought it back to life, but it was not the way Jesus was resurrected. Remember, Jesus walks through walls and everything. These, they would have to eat again, and uh, that means Lazarus would have to die again, and you know how those imaginations in my head, I was thinking Lazarus probably thought, ah, oh, did my sisters do this? Did they call me back? And then I thought, hey, you know what? When Jesus has something for you to do, even death doesn't prevent him from calling you back, because he called Lazarus back for testimony. But he would experience death again because Jesus' enemies would come after Lazarus. So he fleed from Jerusalem and settled in Cyprus. And his second tomb was in a place called Lanaka. So he would die again. 
So, my friends, I found this little quote from a, there was an elderly man who was close to death. And he was asked, are you afraid of dying? And in the statement, it said the elderly man replied, I am not. The Lord put a blanket around me coming into the world, and I do not remember being born. The Lord will put another blanket around me going out of it, and I won't remember dying but just a little. (laughs) Let us ask Jesus, our Lord, to lead us out of the dark tomb of doubt, uncertainty, and unbelief, unbinding us as he unbound Lazarus from such wrappings that we can live the new life now of faith, of love, and of hope that Christ died to give to each one of you. My friends, um, uh, even people of grave faith, when death strikes, even if it comes long term, someone's been sick, it always takes us by surprise. Your pastor was no different when I heard of Mary's, Mary Brockway's passing yesterday afternoon. It was surprising to me. And going to the house um, to say goodbye was tough. A good woman, good woman. That's what I said to her daughter. I worry about some of my people, but not this one. (laughs) At 89, she had served the church for a long time. And her with another member who's still present, who still serves the church together, the two of them, because of their ages, almost have a hundred years of service to the church. That's what faith looks like. That's what hope looks like. Um, but it still was yet surprising when I got the call and had to go. Um, so, um. Friends, next weekend is uh, Palm Sunday. And the color, the liturgical color is red, so I encourage all of you as a sign of solidarity with all the members of the Catholic Church to wear red, be in solidarity with Christ and his church by showing color, the red color. And we'll have palms for everyone.